Our church is one small part of a global community called the Church of Jesus Christ. And this community has existed for more than 20 centuries. Now, I want you to think about just how unusual that is. After all, nations, they come and go. The Roman Empire, the Third Reich, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, they're all gone. Businesses, too, come and go. When Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, he put a lot of candle makers out of work. The Internet has put a lot of newspapers out of business. Political parties come and go. The Federalists and the Whigs don't exist anymore. You see, we live in a world where organizations and institutions are born and they die, and yet the church of Jesus Christ continually presses on. Why is this? What makes this happen? The church continues to survive and to thrive when people take their faith seriously and when they believe that investing in the next generation is a vital responsibility. The church prospers when we make it a priority to teach children about the life of faith. We teach children who then grow up and teach their children who then grew up and teach their children what it means to follow Jesus. And we do this to ensure that the G- church of Jesus Christ continues to be present in this world, representing Jesus faithfully and helping to build the kingdom of God. For this reason, passing our faith on to the next generation is a core value. It's one of the ways that we live out our mission statement, which is to know Him and to love Him and to share Him. We want to share our love of Jesus with kids so they can learn to love Him too. This is a principle of the church. It's a practice of the church. And what's interesting, it actually predates the church. God formed the very first community of faith among the ancient Jewish people. And in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 1 to 9, God very specifically told our spiritual ancestors that it was imperative, imperative to pass their faith on to subsequent generations. And that generational imperative now belongs to us. So we're going to turn our attention to Deuteronomy this morning so we can revisit this generational imperative, and I hope be captured again by its excitement and its ability to transform the church and the world around us. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. 
Now, these are words spoken by Moses, and he's talking to the people of Israel. He's passing on instructions that he was personally given by God. And the purpose of all of these instructions, instructions that go on for page after page in Deuteronomy, is to take a group of former slaves and transform them spiritually as individuals and then form them into a community of faith. And I hope you see the parallel with our own situation. When we were spiritually lost and separated from God, we were slaves to sin. Then we became followers of Jesus and God revealed His truth to us so that we could be transformed as individuals. And then God could form us into a community of faith. And here, as God works at forming His very first community of faith, He gives His people one overriding goal. You can't just think about yourselves. You must think generationally. So God taught Moses foundational truth about the life of faith. Moses then taught it to the people, and they in turn teach it to their children and their grandchildren. And God doesn't present this as an option, but as a responsibility. So every generation has an obligation, a sacred obligation to pass our faith on to the next generation. And it's imperative for us to do this so that the community of faith will continue to thrive and will continue to help build the kingdom of God. Now, how do we actually do that, though? What does it look like to try and implement what God is asking of His people? Well, fortunately, God doesn't just issue this command and say, good luck. You're on your own. Figure it out. Instead, God provides a generational strategy so that we can fulfill the purpose that He has given to us. That's described in the next part of this Deuteronomy passage, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, Moses says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. As as I was reading this, I hope verse 5 sounded familiar to you. Of God with all of your heart and your soul and your strength. During his ministry, Jesus quoted that verse to remind us that loving God with all of our being is one of the greatest commandments of all. And it's vital that we get this because God is telling us that he always wants his relationship with his people to be defined by love. And it's really important for the Israelites to get that at this point because God is preparing to issue through Moses a whole series of commands. And yet God's goal is not to create a community of people who love to follow the rules. God wants to create a a community of people who love to follow Him. A community of people who want to know Him and live by faith in Him. 
You see, if, if we simply become religious rule followers, then that is most likely what we will reproduce in the next generation. We will raise up kids who know how to follow religious practices and who understand how to be good people because they know all the right rules. And God wants so much more for his people than that. He wants us to raise up children whose hearts belong to him. Children who experience the richness of a life of faith that flows out of a love for God rather than the burden of a life based on following religious rules. So as God speaks through Moses, he has Moses paint this very interesting picture, and it's a picture of adults for whom every aspect of life is an opportunity to live by faith. He's talking about adults who embrace faith at home and faith on the road, who embrace faith in the morning and faith in the evening, who have a faith that has captured their minds and their hearts and their souls. You see, God's generational strategy starts with adults who take faith seriously. We don't want to be like the man whose son said to him, Dad, I'm not interested in your faith because it's mostly ornamental. Ouch. You see, if we want to pass on our faith, then we need to embrace a faith that is worth passing on. And then as we embrace the strategy that God gives us, we should look for teachable moments in the midst of daily life. Moments when we're facing tough decisions and kids see us stop to pray and ask God to give us wisdom. They see us strive to live out the values of the kingdom of God, not the values of our culture. They see us model repentance and confession, and a love for God that sustains us when life is hard. You see, I believe that teaching children here at church is vitally important, but I also believe that some of the best teaching doesn't take place here. It happens outside our walls. It happens in our homes and in our neighborhoods and on athletic fields and in classrooms and it happens over family meals and on family vacations and when we're running errands. When we embrace God's strategy and we weave teaching moments into the fabric of life, we become so much more effective at passing on our faith. That's what God wants his people to grasp. And what's sad is that some of the Jews missed the point. They missed the point because they misunderstood what God was saying. You see, one of the challenges of reading the Bible is when to grasp whether God is speaking literally or he's speaking figuratively. And some Jews took verses 8 and 9 literally, completely literally. And so, for example, they wrote down Bible verses, and they put them into little boxes called phylacteries, and then they strapped them onto their foreheads. Now, they did that seriously, and they did that sincerely, but is that really what God wants? I don't think so. 
One way to determine if a Bible passage is literal or figurative is to look at its purpose. And God's purpose here is not to teach people how to wear religious paraphernalia. His purpose is to teach adults how to reproduce their faith in the next generation. And I think kids will learn a lot more from us if we live a life of passionate, genuine faith than if we strap some Bible verses to our forehead. You see, if we read some Bible passages too literally, we actually can fail to grasp God's point. God's point here is that we need to embrace a faith that captures our minds and our hearts and our souls because then we have something of great worth and great value to pass on. And kids will want to embrace that kind of faith. By the way, did you notice that, that God issues this, entire, this strategy to the entire community, not just to parents? He's talking to all of Israel. Moses doesn't say here, hey, 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 moms, dads, come over here. i got some stuff just for you. The rest of you just, you know, chill out for a few minutes. I'll get back to you. Moses is giving instructions to every adult because the entire community bears the responsibility of this generational imperative. We all can invest in all of our kids, regardless of our age or life stage. And you can be a young adult or an older adult. You can be a person who's never had kids or who have kids right now in the home or whose kids are grown up. All of us can help to pass on our faith. And we can do it in church classrooms and at ministry events. And we can do it out in the community. And we can do it simply by getting to know the children and teens of our church and looking for opportunities to share the love of God with them through conversations and activities and interactions. That's God's strategy for us. Now we need to understand that that we can and should do this faithfully. Yet when we embrace this strategy, when we model the life of faith for our kids, when we mentor our kids in the life of faith, it's not a guarantee of results. Every child will grow up and make his or her own decision about whether or not to become a follower of Jesus. And yet I believe the biblical record is this, that as we faithfully do what God asks us to do, then we exponentially increase the likelihood that our children will grow up to love God with all of their being. And there are several places in the Bible where we see the positive results of this generational strategy. One of my favorite examples is a man named Timothy. Timothy, who became a protege of the Apostle Paul. And in one of Paul's letters, we learn how Timothy came to faith. Let's take a look at the book of 2 Timothy. First of all, in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes and says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, he's talking to Timothy here, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. There it is, the generational strategy being played out. Over in chapter 3, verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and I become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So here we have a real-life example of what we just read about in Deuteronomy. Timothy learned about God from his mother Eunice, who learned about it from her mother Lois. These two women embraced God's generational imperative and they lived out God's generational strategy. And here we see the positive results as Timothy, the next generation, became a man of faith. They raised Timothy to know the truth of God. They raised him to glean the wisdom of God. And he learned it as a boy so that when he grew up, he would come to a point where he could understand his own need for God. The teaching that he received prepared him for a life-changing encounter with Jesus, an encounter that we call salvation, where we experience God's forgiveness and begin our own journey of faith. That's what Timothy experienced. And so he grew up and became a godly man. He became a leader in the early church. He became a man of influence who left his mark on the church and on the world in which he lived. And it happened because a grandmother and a mother took God seriously. And each of them made it a priority to pass their faith on to the next generation. And my prayer is that we individually and as a church family, would follow the example of these two faithful women. My prayer is that we would pass our faith on to the boys and girls in our midst so that they will grow up and become men and women who love God with all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their strength. God wants us to pass on our faith to them so that they will make a difference in their generation and that the church of Jesus Christ will continue to survive and thrive and make a difference in the world. We take this very seriously in our church. And I want to talk for a minute about some of the things that we're doing to embrace God's generational imperative and implement His generational strategy. And first and foremost, we're trying to equip ourselves as adults so that we continually grow in our faith. Through preaching and teaching and worship and fellowship, we want to keep our faith fresh and vibrant so that we have something worth passing on. And then we have a number of ministries specifically focused on teaching children about the life of faith. So we offer kids programs every Sunday morning during both of our services at 9.30 and 11. And we do that very intentionally because whenever you're able to be here, we want you to be able to come and bring children and grandchildren or nieces and nephews or maybe kids from your neighborhood that you have befriended. And we want those kids to participate in a class where they can learn to love God. We want them to fall in love with Jesus. And I am deeply grateful for all those in our church who invest the time to teach those classes so kids can learn just that. There's a whole lot more to our children's ministry because it's a growing ministry. Thanks to some faithful volunteers, we now have new seasonal programs for kids at Christmas time and at Easter because we want children to learn what the real meaning of those holidays is. 
And this past fall, we started an Awana program to teach kids the Bible more in depth. And this month, we started a new program called Club 45 for fourth and fifth graders. And again, we did that for a very intentional reason. We, we all know that transitional moments in life are huge. And when a child moves from elementary school into middle school, it's a big deal. So we want to invest extra time in fourth and fifth graders. Time to help them build a faith that will sustain them as they navigate that very significant life change. And then in addition, every Friday we have more than 60 children here through our KidMax program. Kids who attend Bertha Holt Elementary School down the street and around the corner. And they come here for four hours of activities and many of them are so hungry just to know that somebody cares. KidMax is a unique opportunity for us to share God's love with a number of children in our neighborhood who are not being raised in the faith. They're not getting the advantages that Timothy had. They're not getting the advantages that our kids regularly have. But through KidMax, we get a chance to touch their lives and help them to experience something of the love of God because we want to pass our faith on to them as well. Now, all of this takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of resources. When Drew Williamson joined our staff four and a half years ago, we tasked Drew with overseeing all of the children and youth programs here at the church. Now, at the time, we had a much smaller children's ministry, and we had about six kids in our youth group. Well, now we have more than 30 kids in the youth group, and we have a growing array of youth and children's programs year-round. Do I'm so grateful to you. I'm so glad you're on our team, man. You're doing a great job. You're touching lives. And God is blessing his efforts, and God is blessing our efforts. And so these ministries are growing, and they're bearing fruit. But you know what that means? Successful ministry means you need more help. <laughs> And so this morning, I am really excited to tell you that the leadership of our church has approved a brand new position on our staff, position of a full-time children's minister. That's something we've never had before. And this new person will focus ex whoops, exclusively on kids as I rip my microphone apart here. This new person will focus exclusively on kids, which is going to free up Drew to focus on, on youth and young adults. And I'm so excited that our leadership has taken this step of faith to do this. And I'm so excited that God has brought us an ideal person to be our very first children's minister. And so on behalf of the staff and elders, it's my privilege this morning to tell you about Megan York, who's going to join our staff this summer. Megan is a baptized believer from Grants Pass, and she's a senior at Boise Bible College, where she is being prepared for a life of ministry particularly ministry to kids and families. We met Megan when she was a junior, and we've been in conversation with her on and off ever since about the possibility of joining our team. She is one of the top students at Boise, and, and quite frankly, she could probably get a job serving in ministry just about anywhere. But she wants to come to Garden Way. In fact, she turned down an offer from another church, 
because she believes that this is where God wants her to be. And we believe that too. Since Megan's tied up with school over in Boise, she obviously can't be here yet, but we wanted you to hear from her just a little bit this morning, so I asked her to record a brief word of greeting so that you could meet her. Hello, church family. My name is Megan York, and I am 22 years old. I was born and raised in Grants Pass, Oregon, where my parents took me to Redwood Christian Church on Sundays. I attended Grove Christian Camp, and it was there that I accepted Jesus as my Savior and heard God's call for me to go into full-time ministry. I moved to Idaho in 2015 to pursue my bachelor's degree from Boise Bible College, and in May I will be graduating debt-free with my Bachelor of Science in Family Ministry. I have a heart for reaching lost people, and I am so excited to partner with each of you in ministry. I'm so excited to also be joining your church family and look forward to meeting each of you in person. Now, there's obviously a lot more to this young woman that you can get from that brief little comment, but we are tremendously impressed with Megan. She is a bright, articulate, and well-rounded young woman. In high school, she played volleyball, and seven times she won a Scholar-Athlete Award for combining athletic excellence with academic excellence. And at Boise Bible College, she won the Student Leader Service Award three times. I I think the only reason she hasn't won it four times is they haven't awarded it yet this year. (laughs) And I have this feeling that when they award it in May, she'll probably win it again. As I mentioned, we've been in conversation with Megan on and off for quite a while, and We had formal interviews with me and with Drew and our elders, and all of us were impressed with her outgoing personality and her spiritual maturity. She's gifted at teaching and training and working with volunteers. Through all of our conversations, everything she said kept circling back to one theme that just really gripped our hearts. You see, her passion is to help the next generation embrace a life-changing faith in Jesus. She wants kids to fall in love with God and become faithful, faithful disciples. And if you are currently raising children, she wants to come alongside you to support you and encourage you and pray for you and help you so that your children will embrace the faith and learn to love God with all of their heart and soul and strength. This is a huge, exciting next step for our church something that our staff has been praying about and talking about together for more than a year and a half. And so we're excited, but we also know that like anything new, this is going to bring new opportunities and new challenges. So we wanted to introduce Megan to you now so that you could begin praying with us about what lies ahead and so that you could join us in getting excited about what lies ahead. This morning, I want to ask you to pray in very two specific ways. I want you to pray for Megan as she completes her studies and pray that when she arrives this summer that we will embrace her and fold her into our community and pray that God will work in her and through her using her gifts so that our church will continue to be strong and healthy and vibrant in the next generation. And I want to ask you also to pray for yourself. What might God invite you to do in your particular season of life to help fulfill this generational imperative 
What can you do in this church? What can you do in your family? What can you do in your neighborhood? Pray and ask God what next step He might want you to take. Because we all, we all have a part to play in passing on our faith to the next generation.